Welcome everybody, this is the SOS Podcast. I am your host, Michael Nishma, and today we'll be discussing a lot of events around, a lot of things are happening in the unhoused community, and just bringing awareness, most most importantly, to the stuff that's going on, so more people can come in and help, and just to bring, bring that negative nostalgia that's, that's going around with the unhoused community. Um, a lot of people don't know what's going on around here, in the, around their own homes, to the unhoused community. A lot of the essentially bad things are going on, and there's also a lot of negativity that's going around it. And basically, these people are being treated less than actual people, and that's very wrong. And I wanted to bring this awareness so people can come in and actually not only bring compassion to this or just bring overall just have some understanding I want the people to know and so they'll also help and not push them away but welcome them in so so to learn a little bit more about the people speaking this podcast um, we're going to get an introduction from John Betts and Amanda Cole so everyone start please introduce yourselves a little bit yourself about the podcast okay so I'm Amanda Cole, and I have been following these issues for several months. Uh, and I was present at the the latest tragedy that occurred at Grace Baptist Church. I am a grandma and a zoology major from Davis, and I could not find housing since I moved here in 19 or 2008, and so was vehicle dwelling for until about two years ago. And uh, that is a really, really rough life, and uh, not something I would ever wish upon anyone. Okay, and I'm my name is John Betts, and though I grew up, I grew up in Palo Alto and uh, finished school around here and all that. But I too eventually ended up vehicle dwelling about that same time, or and uh, then eventually Amanda and I met. And then we had a lot of interests, you know, similar interests. And uh, so we both have been together for practically nine or ten years. Uh, and vehicle, co-vehicle dwelling most of that time. Though at first we were independently vehicle dwelling. Or maybe she had some housing and then it fell through shortly after I met her. And uh, But we've... Seeing this whole, you know, we've had to deal that that all that time. But then, thankfully, we feel really bad for people who are having to do vehicle dwell and all that nowadays, since the COVID thing has come in, because now a lot of the resources that we were able to at least utilize when vehicle dwelling, like restrooms being open, libraries being open. Uh, restaurants and cafes being open where you always had places you could hang out or you could get together and share meals and all that and then libraries you could you could utilize computers and you could charge your phones and it was also good to have somewhere to go because summertime like summertime we had to stay in shelters too and then they'd always make you leave at seven o'clock in the morning and then uh and then you have to wait and wait and wait and then finally get to get in at seven o'clock at night and 
And, you know, you had to either carry out belongings with you if you didn't have a vehicle. And so all of that really sympathized with all the hardships. And now, then at least we had, like, we could go to libraries, we could go to coffee shops or restaurants to have something to do during the day and places to be. Now, they don't even have that. There's a story you heard. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about that story, John, that occurred. Yeah, so we were both over at Grace Baptist Church, and it was, uh, it was, was it a week ago Sunday? A week ago last Sunday. And uh, Sean Cartwright is the leader of our, our group. It's called Urge, and she's an activist and advocate. So they have an annual thing that we were helping work on, which is getting ready. They have, have an annual memorial for all the unhoused people that died this that year. So that they may they have all these tombstones they paint have painted to rep as a sort of a, to pay honor to all these people and raise awareness that this is no you know not no walk in the park people having being stuck out living out in their elements is a kind of like a possible death sentence if you don't want for those who aren't tough enough so we were making the painting the names of the people had a list of all the people that died this year in the homeless community and we were painting these onto these tombstones they'd already made so we had, they had painted out the people from last year and this year there's going to be like there were 160 last year and there's about 200 this year so as we worked on that all day and uh then the place is shelter at night so a few of the people who are involved in the shelter start gathering and some of them kind of have a deal where they help out some in exchange as they're part of them getting to stay there so one guy was standing around kind of near us and he was talking here and there to Sean the leader of the group and she was asking him if he might like to help volunteer painting some of the names on the tombstones in some maybe the next time and he was saying he would like to then it came time for us to leave and uh, no, nothing seemed nobody seemed uptight about anything not only one or two of the people who stay there had come in yet so anyway we left you want to tell what happened next so um, the the end result was there was uh, five stabbings, two people died. The person who stabbed everyone was the person who just talked to us. He was enthusiastic and friendly uh, when we were leaving. Yeah. And uh, later in the newspaper, one of a, a person who is completely disconnected and very immersed in the stigma of how horrible the unhoused are uh, said she, she was glad that the police, she or he, was glad that the police had apprehended this mass murderer. Uh, we, we don't, uh, you know, since we know everyone involved personally and the stress and the high pressure that people are under in the shelter model, uh, just trying to stay warm and at least they, Grace Baptist has not, dis, uh, has not dissuaded Grace from continuing their incredible efforts and one of the only places that are offering this to anybody in this area. So hats off to them and we're very happy that um, it's, it's too bad that this, this will 
promote or uh, perpetuate the stigma and we're trying to balance that with this podcast and part of the problem you want to say something first oh yeah i just want to say i just want, I want to ask a couple questions do you, so do you, do you know about the person who caused the situation or yeah, he was. You know a little about him. That she was asking if he'd like to help paint some of the tombstones. He was standing pretty near us, just very calmly hanging out. His and name is Fernando. He's he's a young man, young, enthusiastic, friendly guy that was willing to help put all the mats out. And I think he is a helper there, as a, a kind of a jail release program is what he was involved in. So that's how we know him, and we also know the three stabbed victims who survived, and we don't know the two people that uh, are deceased. Yeah. So the people that were the two people that were killed were people who were in the community of people staying there. The three people wounded were all two staff people and one person who was sort of more kind of a altruistic volunteer who likes to do a lot to help people, and. Um, but that's what's so puzzling is that guy, Fernando, we were talking to him, that, we'd seen him there other times, and he seemed one of the more cooperative and po- po- friendly people we'd encountered there. So we don't know what made that guy later on in the night, Only all half of a sudden, later. yeah, Only half an hour later. or 45 minutes. We don't, what would cause him to suddenly go off and end up being said that he's the one who stabbed all these people. We can't figure out how come he would have switched in that mode in the next half hour. People do suspect that there was drug related, it could be, but his actions should not be not be representative of every single unhoused person out yeah. there and that bad things happen and when people are under pressure. So. Yeah, and then they're also making a big to-do about the fact that he's from Mexico and maybe he's Sort of an illegal, that's not really got paper, I'm not illegal. That's the whole immigration issue. And that's, yeah. just, that's a shame and it should not be done. Right. Yeah, that's, that's another topic that I heard. There's a lot of pushback going on and a lot, people are using this situation as essentially like a way to kind of defund and essentially take away all these um, organizations that's trying to help the, these communities out. So do you know, do you know anything about these people that are trying to, you know, stop these funding and stop this this well, push. we only know Lacardo's the mayor, you know, and we've been aware of him quite some time. And what I think is hypocritical is usually he'd been trying to come out all in support of Black Lives Matter, and he also was always trying to come out really in support of the uh, immigrant community and the Hispanic community. But then to sound, sound like he's just being at the drop of a hat being a turncoat and we also think a lot of people criticize him for a lot for Eddie Garcia that police chief and a lot of people have been really critical of that police chief and then he has he is uh, he's retiring so he's supposed to be out of the picture but he's made a statement about this his opinion apparently I don't know if it's directly stated this or it's just implied. Is this the the police chief? Yeah. Okay. That this man should have been deported before, and this would have been this would have prevented this situation from happening. And because of our uh, amnesty town, that he wasn't, and and they think that's. uh, Oh yeah. So they're trying to say, oh, that's ICE. The you know the immigrant, all this thing of not letting ICE freely 
uh, interrogate and investigate all, any Hispanic people they feel like. That that's now that show you what went wrong having an amnesty. Okay, but they're not saying anybody. They're saying felony felony offenders. Yeah. This person was. So he unfortunately is an example of somebody who didn't get touched because of the amnesty rules, even though he has a felony. So yeah. I can see both sides. We can see why it's angering everyone that's pro get everybody out who has felonies. Yeah. And it's just, it just added fuel to the fire to that. Yeah. To bring it back a little bit, um, I want you guys to tell me if you were talking to somebody, a random stranger, that didn't know about what's going on in the house community and doesn't know the situations and struggles that they go through to explain to them and as not as, explain to them as well as help them understand what's going on okay well for one thing uh, there's the whole um, as as people have ended up a lot being homeless then the, the a lot of the housed people and the well situated people are always wanted to just kept thinking oh if well we just keep making sure that they know they're not welcome that'll get them to go away or get them to shape up and fly right also don't provide any trash cans any uh, facilities any wash facilities or restrooms and that will dissuade people from living in this area. Right. However, there's it's just the numbers are increasing and the problem's just getting worse and now we have is a people a whole bunch of people with completely unhygienic uh, situations that are that make people feel miserable. And if you're dirty and grungy, you can't be productive, you definitely can't go on a job interview. Yeah. Not providing these facilities only makes every, every single thing about it worse. Right. And then it makes them also be st victims of stigma even more, you know, because that's the, oh, why don't they take a shower? Why don't they you know, get a job, you know, all that sort of thing. Well, why don't you let them have anywhere to take a shower? Oh, yeah, and that was the thing for a real long time, you know, the, throughout San Jose, a lot of the people have camps in some of the areas that are kind of along the creeks. All these, there's a lot of parks that are kind of next to a bunch of creeks. So that's where a lot of the people like figure it's a good place to have a camp because it's not right in public view. And uh, it's, you feel better being kind of a little bit in nature too if you've got to be outdoors. And, and then for a long time though, there would be all this pressure from the, what they call NIMBYs, not in my backyard. Uh, well, if you put, if you let them get people in the camps, you let them have trash cans and if you let them have uh, wash stations and restrooms then you're just encouraging them and so we this is the worst thing to do even though the thing we hate the most is the mess is all the clutter and mess that has accumulated in some of these areas but wouldn't want to be caught dead putting some garbage cans out I have witnessed a person drive up in a red sports car dumping two trash bags where all of the unhoused people put their trash. So that's ha happening too. So that's true. A whole lot of the trash that's yeah. around is from is really f from other people seeing that as a 
their handy way to get rid of trash and then make the homeless people look worse. Look bad. Look that bad might too. be actually more of the idea. Yeah, that might be worse. a way to make it look even worse than it really is. So, I, I would say uh, from a former SOS member that our mission is to house people and change the legislation to allow everyone to be warm and safe. Community belongs, uh, begins with the whole neighborhood and people that have vacant buildings that could be housing for the homeless is par are part of the community. Starving, desperate, miserable, cold people can't contribute to the community very well and by allowing them in, you can, uh, they can become part of the community again. Just need to open the door. And Vendome did it in San Mateo County, a really good model for a community that came together to provide apartments for people. And it's been in, in, in going on for at least 10 years, I think. Yeah. Uh, so what is everyone afraid of? And what happened at Grace should not reflect on everything about the homeless. And what one person pointed out, well, people get fights and knife fights and all that kind of thing happens throughout our society, it doesn't only happen in the unhoused community. It happens in bars all the time. Uh, bar, you hear about it happening in bars all the time. And, but uh, this is focused on in a huge, amazing, elevated way to yeah. represent. Yeah. See, see, we told you, the troublemaker. Yeah. Not even one percent of the whole community. And one time, like in Palo Alto, some years ago, there was a, a really nice upstanding guy he's like some kind of scientist and he's raising a family and he's everything uh, everyone looks up to but then some gang people from somewhere else killed him all of a sudden out of nowhere so uh, that didn't make them you know get rid of gang people and upstanding yeah. people can flip out too and that's a good violent. point too don't know what's happening inside of people's homes. That's a good point. And a lot of drug use there, for sure. Yeah, because that's another thing. They always target the homeless people as being all, all the people that are using drugs. But a lot of people are using drugs throughout our society. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't matter what class or what. Yeah. how rich they are, how poor they are. A lot of people misuse it. It's, it's an addiction. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't matter what class or who you are. And we have the legalized marijuana. You know, even though marijuana, certainly, it has lots of things that can be good about it, but it still is a drug. Some people can get really just as messed up on legal marijuana as anything else. But if they have money, you know, they're not a problem to society unless they really screw up. Or alcohol. Royally, and alcohol, too. Alcohol. alcohol. It's, a big, it's a big one, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, another question I want to ask. If you can... Um, if you can... Have a solution to to bring awareness to the stigma and try to bring down the stigma to bring a light to it. What, what, what would that to be to you, John and Amanda? My solution is to make a movie that changes minds and uh, makes people realize that they can have a really positive solution here. And instead of taxing everybody, I think we should have tax incentives for people that house unhoused people and they can have tax breaks, including homeowners who are getting priced out of this area because of the high taxes and are su super resentful about being taxed for these programs. So that's one thing that I came up with. And also allowing the police to stop uh, charging trespassing just when people are trying to find shelter and get out of the cold. Yeah. Oh, well, that was a very good point. Is that 
Yeah, giving if people w would are able to help someone or let an unhoused person stay, then they get a tax break. That would be a really good idea. In, in whatever kind of building it is, that that's a really interesting idea. Um, we have. See, what I feel like also is wrong is the way the city um, gives out, there's all this money from uh, HUD, basically, and it's this called the CARES Act. Billions of dollars have been allotted throughout the country for a whole lot of funding for housing for the unhoused people. But then the trouble is it's always being filtered through our, then they, we have to get it through the city, all the different governments, city, county, and state governments. So then the trouble is potential solutions then are being always down to the same usual suspects, the same vendors, like in this city it's mainly home first and, and destination home and abode. And and then the city also makes them have to be competitive in their bids to want to become a, a service provider. They have to bid, and it's basically whoever gives them the cheapest rate is who they want to give the contract to. So isn't that kind of going to reflect in having not very good services? And that's exactly what we have. But also, we practically have a uh, almost nepotism because I I know from some people who know that a lot of the people in our city government, you know, especially in the housing department, all used to work for Home First. So and that's what who's always getting the contracts from the city, Home First. You know, one hand washing the other but not necessarily for the betterment of everyone else. So then the in-group is all, a lot of the people in the city government used to work for Home First, then they're giving all the homeless help contracts to Home First, and then we're stuck with, now, right now, they wanna, they had several shelters, and then they decided, oh, we can't afford to keep those open any, all those shelters open, even though there's all this CARES Act money that's supposed to be for that very purpose, billions of dollars yet they say oh we've already spent all our money because we uh, built those uh, those interim housing things uh, they that's what the city said oh we built all those interim housing things that used up all the money we had to pay for shelters so now we have to reduce it all to the, the one place South Hall one great big hall in the middle of downtown supposed to have all 300 all congested in one place. I think another solution is to uh, ask the community for suggestions way more than city council does at the city that, and the county and the state because the trailer problem could have been averted if they had a vendor that actually knew how to hook up trailers and they had searched around for people that actually know how to to, to run a trailer park instead of uh, the spending department million and then having to close it down. So the community could have offered solutions there. Well, John and Amanda, can you let me know about the situation with the whole RV thing and how that occurred? Okay. There were big um, resident trailers sent that originally were owned by FEMA, and they were like really fantastic shape and quite deluxe. 
and they sent down at least 100 and maybe like 115. Uh, Newsom just sent them down maybe in March or so, and uh, they put them at the big parking lot by Happy Hollow. And then then they said this was going to be to house the, you know, homeless or some, whichever they thought were the most vulnerable of the homeless population. So then after some delay, finally, and this this weird, nobody knew who was going to be in charge. And this state said the county is going to be in charge. We even had conversations with some of these entities. And then the county said the state is going to be in charge. And then all of a sudden they put San, city of San Jose in charge and the housing department. So finally they opened them up. And... Uh, but then they only opened up, only put people in 30 of them, and then they only had it open three weeks. Then they think, oh, well, there's just too many problems have arisen trying to do this. Oh, and they're really just in too dilapidated a shape. So we're just going to have to terminate the whole thing. And then all the people wow. were given like five days' notice to, and then I guess a lot of them, they re- helped, they put them into hotels instead. But so then all of a sudden, at least 95 uh, housing units just decided not to use. Um, and then, uh, meanwhile, the other 15 are still sitting there at the fairgrounds where they claimed they couldn't use them because they didn't have a way to hook them up, even though they already have had people living there by the month, paying by the month, t- living in RVs has been going on for years, and they're still there. And we have been over there and witnessed that our people are living in RVs right on the premises, and then that these fair, these Newsome chairs are sitting there in the corner, all just gathering dust, being unused. Um, if I can add something, yeah, um, I was with John and Amanda. We went to see and Mike, uh, another person who's a SOS member, and we went to see those RVs at the fairgrounds, and it's actually such so many unused uh, trailers over there, right? So many unused ones. And it's guarded by a security guard for some reason. And it's not... Like, no one's in there. And it, there's so many people that are unhoused and that can use these, especially during this winter time where it's super cold. Um, where, uh, the degrees dropped to, like, just 30 yesterday. Like, imagine the people that are unhoused right now are they're scratching and looking for somewhere to go. And there's this big vacant lot with all these uh, trailers and... For some reason, not like it, and it's it's not right, not right, inhumane. Yeah, and then to make, then even to add to that, we hear that the, some people in charge of the fairgrounds are trying to figure out a way to get the people that have been being allowed to pay by the month to live in RVs. They're trying to figure out how to get them to all move out too. Jesus. And uh, for what reason? You know, we don't get this Me- constant. Meanwhile, there's a person sleeping in a tent along the fence outside of where the trailers are freezing cold in a in a little tent yeah so it seems like over and over again you see and there's all kinds of big vacant big lots all over the place they're big parking lots all over the whole fairgrounds they could be letting people park you know their vehicles there and stuff but it's the same old story they want to keep not letting anybody use anything to help anybody all right so I hope this podcast was very informative. Again, I'm your host, Michael Nijma, boss side with Amanda and John. 
We hope you learned a lot about what's going on in the unhoused community. And again, <clears throat> just let everybody know that the power is in the people. Thank you.